0: Welcome to the Business of Discovery, a clinical research podcast from the NIHR Clinical Research Network. My name is Alan Gall, and it's a pleasure to have you with us. I'm joined today by Dr. Richard Smith, the former editor of the British Medical Journal. Dr. Smith is a medical doctor who has spent the majority of his career in medical publishing. He is a founder member of the Committee on Publication Ethics, a former trustee of the UK Research Integrity Office. And has been involved in many cases of research misconduct though not as you're quick to point out ever as an offender he is a champion of open access publishing and science and describes himself on his twitter feed as one who makes warts soup marmalade porridge and trouble dr smith thank you very much for speaking with us today on this podcast now as i mentioned at the start you've had a lot of experience dealing with so-called research misconduct and indeed you've been in writing about it for three decades. So it's that topic that I would like to focus on today. Can I begin by asking you, what do actually actually
1: mean when we use the term research misconduct? Well, there's much debate about that. The Americans have a very pre- precise definition because they feel everybody should know whether something is or is not misconduct. But in Europe, we've tended to adopt a much broader definition that simply says falling short of best scientific and clinical practice and uh, that includes not really knowing that you're doing, committing misconduct. Um, you don't have to know that something was misconduct in order to commit it which I think places an obligation on people to really understand the kind of wide range of what can be construed as misconduct. I mean clearly Inventing data, um, plagiarising other people's material, altering data dramatically to change the conclusions. Things like that are very obviously misconduct. But there are lots of other things, not declaring conflict of interest, leaving out outliers, doing late analyses and not confessing to it. There are many ways in which you can commit misconduct.
0: Now, the standard approaches of the scientific establishment to such misconduct are threefold. That it's rare, that science is self-correcting,
1: and that nobody is harmed. Based on your experience, do those opinions hold up? No, unfortunately none of those are true, but that's the response I've been hearing for 30 years. We can see many examples of people being harmed. The, The fuss around the MMR vaccine is one of the best examples. Another is the use of bone marrow transplantation in women with metastatic breast cancer, which was done on a huge scale, cost millions, billions even, of pounds, caused a lot of suffering, and really was largely based on fraudulent data. So it can undoubtedly cause harm, apart from the fact of undermining confidence in science. I think it isn't rare. We have now a number of surveys which have been gathered together in a systematic review where people themselves, scientists, admit to major misconduct in perhaps 1-2% to of cases, more minor misconduct in 15% of cases. And when you ask, do you think your colleagues have been guilty of it, you get much higher uh, figures. And I think the idea that science is self-correcting actually has been exploded even more importantly recently, because there have been these studies of trying to reproduce studies and discover that many studies cannot be reproduced, which is causing a rethink on how science is done. You've highlighted
0: the harm that such research misconduct can cause, and it must be almost incalculable. Why do you think it happens?
1: Why do people well, I it? My answer is: Why would it not happen? I mean, wherever there is human activity, there is misconduct. And unfortunately, in science, it's particularly easy, because really the whole thing is based on trust. I mean, when I was the editor of the BMJ, if we get sent a paper saying there are 200 patients in this study, I didn't say, well, can you show us their pictures? Can you show us their signatures? Can you show us their consent form? We assumed that what is said in the paper is true. The whole thing is based on trust unlike, say, a casino where nobody is trusted. Everything is videoed, checked, audited. But I don't see how we can do science like that. I think it has to be open. And I suppose, actually, as it becomes more open, it does potentially become easier to pick up on misconduct. Do you think it's an increasing problem? That's impossible to answer. Um, I mean, it's probably, even if the... The, the, the prevalence was the same, it would be commoner simply because there's vastly more science than there was 10, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, I mean, people often say that the pressure to publish increases all the time, which tempts people into fraud. But I think the reality is nobody knows the answer to that question. I mean, what we do know, I suppose, is that people are at long last beginning to pay more serious attention to it which may give the impression it's commoner when in fact we're just taking the problem seriously. You've, you're, you're hinting
0: there that just how big and how difficult a problem it is. I mean, are there any solutions to it? I mean, is there anything that the individual
1: researcher could do perhaps to? Well, one thing, I mean, obviously we would like to put a lot of emphasis on prevention. And unfortunately, I think people can stumble into misconduct simply because they don't know. Uh, the best way to do research and publish. So, I think there should be training in uh, research and publication ethics. I mean, this is now mandatory for any PhD student in the US. Some get it here, some don't. Uh, I think, even in the US, I think unfortunately it may have deteriorated to a box ticking exercise. I think it requires quite a lot of thought. Um, I run these workshops where we mostly discuss cases, I mean, based on what's happened uh, in reality. And it sort of illustrates the difficulty. There's no substitute, really, for thinking quite hard. So prevention is one thing. I think we have to have systems of detection. And I think everything being more open, people making their full data available, which is increasingly the trend, will help with that. And then we, we have to have a recognition that when this happens, uncomfortable and horrible as it is, there is an obligation on the research organisations, both the funders and the employers, to begin an investigation, look into it very thoroughly and take action if misconduct is discovered. Because universities and others have not done that very well, some people have argued that this should become a criminal offence. Um, just like financial fraud is, and I always thought that was a step too far, but I can begin to see the logic of it because the police know how to investigate and gather evidence in a way that often universities don't. Also, they don't have a conflict of interest. I mean, clearly a university has a horrible conflict of interest when it looks like one of their most prominent researchers may be guilty of misconduct there's a terrible tendency to try and bury the whole thing or get the person to reside, which I think is what has happened a lot in the past, but I hope is not happening so commonly now.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're talking about um, what we should actually call it. You have said in your own writing that research misconduct is a rather a gentlemanly phrase. It doesn't, it doesn't quite convey the, the seriousness that, and the, the potential harm that this is going to cause. It, you know, it should be fraud, it should be crime. Um, do you think that's where we're moving? It seems to be where other countries
1: yeah. Well, in some ways, we've gone in the opposite direction. We used to talk about scientific fraud, and then we use move to research misconduct. And I think that's partly to emphasise the fact that this common but minor misconduct um, actually may be the thing. In fact, this is increasingly what people think that really damages the uh, scientific evidence, that the examples of really extreme fraud, manipulating data, inventing data, is probably not so common as the much lower level misconduct, which in the end causes a lot of damage. So just just a couple of weeks ago, for example, I saw a figure that looks at um, the rise in p-values. Now, of course, the way science has worked if you have a p-value under P po- equals 0.05 then it's thought to be significant um, if it's above then it's not significant. I mean the whole thing is ridiculous because it's a, it's an arbitrary cutoff but this showed that there has been no increase in p equal you know above 0.05 whereas the ones that are ra- just under 0.5 have gone up dramatically, which does suggest that people are, manipulating their results. And it's that kind of low-level misconduct that probably is, is causing the biggest problem of the scientific record. Again, with the analogy of,
0: of the criminal world, you know, are you advocating that perhaps we should be going for the zero-tolerance approach, where we, we, we don't just deal with the big issues, we deal with the much more smaller, more minor versions of it, because they will potentially lead to the bigger ones?
1: Yes, I think perhaps I I am advocating that. I mean, clearly the the punishment has got to fit the crime. So somebody completely inventing data, it seems to me, should probably be expelled from research and and that would be the end of their career because it depends upon integrity and trust. People who have stumbled into misconduct because they don't know any better, it would seem wrong to punish them very severely. But I think pointing out the problem... um, displaying it to others would be an encouragement for people to take this seriously because I think still people on the whole have not taken it seriously although I think it's beginning to change quite rapidly and I think it will probably change more rapidly in the future. Dr Smith
0: thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us today. Thank you. This has been The Business of Discovery a podcast from the NIHR Clinical Research Network. I hope you'll join us again next time. Thanks for listening.